This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your other sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm uh, not bad. You know what? It's the first, would you say it's the first sunny day of 2022? I'll be honest with you. This is the first day I can think of that I've worn no show socks in 2022 and probably since last summer. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I got a, a, a white shoes and a white shirt on. I know when you came down to, when you came down to let me in, I, I didn't know if you were on vacation. Somebody asked me if I was going to the beach today and uh, I'd say tomorrow, but I think it's supposed to pour. So. Speaking of, of you coming down to get me, I, I didn't, this is just how, like I have an iPhone probably two yeah. that when this thing dies, the Smithsonian's going to call and they're going to want it for the <laughs> museum. It's so old. So I have no idea how things work. You told me today, <laughs> there's a thing called voice to text. So I, I, you know what? I've sent you two texts today. One, I spelt your name K-O-R-R-I-E. Which is still Corey. It's still Corey. It's still Corey. Uh, I've never spell. met anyone. That, that's, the strange thing is, is voice to text, my understanding is it's supposed to improve as it gets to know you or use your contacts. I don't have a single K-O-R-R-I-E in my phone. And yet it's still saying that that's your name. I don't understand that. I also texted you when you were downstairs. I think I meant to say, I'm on my way down. Yeah. And somehow it said, I'm on my way. Sex. Sex. Yeah. I'm on my way sex. So I was. Your ears perked up a bit. So I, I, I read the text. And at this point, I don't know there is voice to text at this point. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's. Wow, that's that's exciting for you. I'm glad. Like that's. You know, that's I, I think you texted back. See you in sixty seconds. Yeah, sixty. I said six. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was excited for you. I was really excited. I, I can wait another minute if I have to. Here's here's the thing. I've had this conversation with numerous people, and I tried to have it with you, but you didn't know what voice to text was. Well, I do now. Uh, <laughs> it, I feel like I've been using it embarrassingly off and on since about 2015, maybe. Yeah. And. It seems to be, it's the only technological thing I can think of that seems to be getting progressively worse to the point now where I basically can't use it. Um, <laughs> I'm on my way, sex. <laughs> it's a new trend. Yeah. It's, it's a new trend. Yeah. But anyway, uh, who do we have on the show? <laughs> <laughs> on the show today, we have Robin Kelly. So he comes from a very, very prominent family in real estate on Vancouver Island with real estate as far as France, believe it or not. So we're going to unpack all of that stuff. Obviously, people who listen to the show know that we're very bullish on Vancouver Island. They've got properties in Victoria. They've got properties in Nanaimo and the surrounding areas and everything from industrial to retail to multifamily. And across Canada too, right? Yeah, they, so, Alberta, Montreal. They're, as far as I can recall, they're, yeah. they're the first real estate family we've had on that is local on the island and has holdings that stretch globally. Yeah. So this would, this would be a first. Yeah. This would be a it's first a, It's one. really exciting. There's a lot of firsts going on today. <laughs> Voice to text, 
the royal family of real estate across like this is this is a good one today. This is a good episode. This is a great episode. So maybe we'll cut to our talk with Robin Kelly. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial. John Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have yeah. friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's Impact Commercial. Okay, so we're here with Robin Kelly from the Denux Group. How you doing, Robin? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Very well. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time. It sounds like uh sounds like well, obviously you're a busy guy, so we appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate the opportunity. It's great to um actually speak with you guys rather than just uh, listen to you guys talk back to me on a monologue on a podcast uh, every, every week. Well, you're one of the nine listeners we got, so we appreciate it. <laughs> you know, maybe starting, Robin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about the Denux Group? Yeah, so I'm, my name's Ro- Robin Kelly, of course, I was introduced, and I'm, um, you know, a partner in the Denux Group, and we're, it's basically a family family business, second generation, actually started up by my father-in-law. And um, all of us, we, we still work together, but we did a butterfly transaction in 2009 where each of us, we, you know, we share offices, but technically each sibling company has their own company and we, we choose to invest together or invest, uh, you know, on our own. And we've always maintained the close connection to the family and we try to keep the values going through and, you know, uh, evolve to where we need to evolve. But essentially we've been... Myself, I grew up on, I was actually born on Vancouver Island and then left for quite a few many years because even though, you know, everyone says Vancouver Island's a beautiful place, it's always been beautiful, just didn't really have many good paying jobs for a long time. And that's kind of changed. And what basically with the family, they've been buying, you know, the classic story of investors coming from outside. Father-in-law was an immigrant from France. Mother-in-law came from Quebec and they just really got tired of the winter. And it was, you saw cherry blossoms in February and decided to come out here and, you know, start to, they had enough money to buy a, I think I believe it was one apartment building at the time. And no one was interested in buying apartments it was in the eighties after BC had just really gotten kicked. I know it's a long time ago, so it's hard for a lot of people to really imagine that right now, but yeah. And at this, over time, it was your, you know, buy buildings, blow replacement, renovate them, manage them and, you know, continue to grow. And now we operate on our same philosophy, but we just, basically follow our nose and invest where it makes sense. And everyone looks at their own portfolios and we always share information, even though we're, we're, you know, we're part of the same group, but we're all individuals in the family. And the force for us is just that ability to communicate and share and grow from each other. Fantastic. And and can you talk a little bit about the Denux Group's portfolio and, and realizing that it's, it's separate companies, but but the asset classes you're involved in and kind of, are you, are you primarily focused on the island or is that just one of many locations you're kind of monitoring and involved in? Yeah. And, and just a, a bit of a preface, everyone that's involved has had experience when we were together managing all aspects of the portfolio and different, you know, and I mean that we had traditionally was out 
in Montreal and in, on Vancouver Island. So we were all pretty familiar with it because we all were together and we all joined as we were together. It wasn't a scenario where we were independent and we came in later. But the company, the the group now, we have our main, one of our main offices in Victoria, and that's where three, I guess you could say three of the partners live. When I mean partners, I mean couples. So it's the husband and wives are involved in, in everything. And then the other group, uh, two two of the partners are out in Montreal, and they've stayed out there for, I guess it's about since 2005 was when we took off. The first acquisition was 2003, I believe, out there. So it's been since 2003, we've been out in Montreal, and then Around 2009, a couple of us branched out and started buying in Alberta, and we had a couple properties there for a few years, and then the last few years, we actually started adding a few more. And on its side, it's it's something we all kind of like. It's harder with kids because it's in COVID because it's hard to fly out, but we have an office in France with three full-time employees and about 10 office properties, of which two of them we directly built and one of them we partnered on. Wow. Obviously, the listeners who listen to the show, we're very bullish on the Vancouver Island market. You guys got a very predominant holding out there, both in Victoria, Nanaimo, and some of the surrounding areas. Can you maybe speak to sort of how that portfolio has performed maybe over the past, say, five years, which when Victoria seemed to really get its legs on, under it? And then now to obviously seeing it grow up island or up, you know, the northern part of the island to Nanaimo. How has that been to sort of see that transition firsthand from a landlord perspective? Interesting. And just, just a little interjection. I did forget one of the partners did does have a building in New Westminster. So we actually do have something on the mainland, a a token property. So uh, I I shouldn't leave that one out. And Robin, before you answer Corey's question, can you talk a little bit about the asset classes you're involved in? Yeah, no, for sure. We, we have actually been in Nanaimo since the early nineties too. So there's been a presence up Island for almost as long as Victoria, but the assets traditionally, it's always been multifamily residential and to this day, the advantage is, is it's, it's the nuances, right? Like there's a lot more institutions, obviously, they're in the sector, but originally there's a lot less, it was a lot just mum and pops, right? So you could come in and you could really easier, you hear on all the podcasts, tweak the performance of a building, do certain efficiencies, but it being smaller as you're growing, it offers a huge benefit because you you have a diversified tenant base. So you don't have to worry about a single tenant industrial building going vacant and having a call from the bank. There's CMHC insurance. We all know that. So that's that's been the bread and butter. It shifted. The Montpellier offices were something that that's kind of a side thing. We started by, again, um, actually, I think every single one of us now, have French, we all have French passports. My kid had, children had their French passports before they're Canadian. And just my father-in-law, he at one point was like, you know what, if I'm going to go back to my roots. Maybe I can pick up a couple little office buildings there. And I get, I know we're on the Vancouver real estate podcast. So our commercial, so I won't go on too much about that, but that started the office. And it was uh, when our kids were younger, a few of us were a lot more involved because it was kind of exciting now with the distances and the market there was very much Lake Victoria. The area we're in was one of the faster growing areas, really considered a great place to be in. And then all of a sudden the institutions discovered it. So it's a bit harder now to grow there. So that's kind of been on hold, but it's always been multifamily. That's the bread and butter. Around 2013, we ended up doing our first in the group construction project. And it was literally a back of the envelope calculation. We looked at replacement costs, what construction costs were, what existing buildings were. You know, had a glass of wine, a couple of us, and we're like, we have to renew our portfolio somehow. Everyone's like, it doesn't work. And we're like, well, one person up island did it. We have excess land for free. It's, it should work. And then since then, there's been occasionally we'll, a few, we'll, if a commercial center comes up, strip malls, we've done that. 
And then since I guess about 2011, and it's really only ourselves and one other partner has started to look a lot more in industrial and we ended up building, um, we're on our third industrial project now we've, we've, that, we'll, that we'll have built and we have a handful of industrial buildings. Not on the island, really, only up in Nanaimo. It's, it's pretty difficult in Victoria to find something that's functionally makes sense. So right now, obviously, with COVID or coming out of COVID, you mean supply chain issues, especially in the construction world, have been very, very challenging to navigate. How have you guys found that in the building process? And what pivots have you had to do maybe because of those supply chain issues and type of things that you may have encountered over the past couple of years? Put projects on hold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm sort of serious on, on one hand, like I can, I can only really speak for myself on this, that a few of us were definitely watching it because it's been so volatile and the city approval processes have been horrifically slow everywhere. Like we're, we're doing one in Bridgeland and Calgary. It's, it's, it's taking so long, but at the same time, we're not panicking because of where costs are, you know, knowing the right contractors to work with, and unfortunately, if you're doing something now, you don't want to do anything too crazy. Too like you, you want to make sure you can get the products innovative, have long lead times, and and work on that. And ourselves, we had a project we finished in Nanaimo, and it was starting framing right at the start of COVID, and that was not a fun experience at all because we had all the shutdowns, and that kind of really woke me up at that point. I was like a little bit apprehensive after that, and we had just finished an industrial building too. So we had managed to get it. There was a labor issue, but then, as you know, the supply chain stuff comes up. So you just, you really have to make sure that you you kind of you know where the pinch points are, and you're ordering stuff a long time in advance. And even with that, there's like make sure you always kind of assume the worst and don't tell people. And I think the best example would be, and he'll laugh about this if he hears this, is that this isn't on the island, but this is in Calgary. We were doing a actually for an Abbotsford firm. We had to do a build out of a freestanding building that we just built the shell on. And I told them they had to move in February 1st, knowing it wasn't until May 1st, just because I'd wanted to buy us time. So we ordered the air makeup system. Well, the air makeup system didn't come until mid-March and it didn't have any of the, uh, I'm thinking in French, the volets, the um, air dampers. So that took another six weeks. We got it one week before occupancy. But if we would have told them May, it would have came in like August. And we're doing an industrial building up in Nanaimo. And how we pivoted on that one, we had so many issues with the structural steel. We heard there was a problem with the open wedge steel joists that we did basically what you shouldn't do. We we ordered a pre-eng base structure and we're kind of dulling it up after the fact, which is, is kind of inefficient traditionally and it doesn't save you any money. But the steel arrived this week and we'll be able to build the building in about six months, whereas I didn't want to think what it would have been if we had to wait. So, Robin, this is um, kind of related, but potentially off topic. One thing that strikes me about the the Knox Group is it's a family operation. When you say partners, there's various couples involved. And and from what you've been talking about so far, two things strike me. One, you've been ahead of a lot of markets, right? Like you were started getting into industrial in 2011, I believe. And it's like, you know, you're ahead. You saw the market in France that was really exciting and kind of like Victoria and ramping up and got in ahead of that multifamily before the institutional money was there. So there's a lot of either expertise or intuition there. And then secondly, your response about the supply chain issues, like it's interesting to think there's a couple different couples, all part of the same family that are this tapped into, into the, the, the world of commercial real estate. Can you just speak to how that works? I think it's, you know, the, the biggest benefit we knew from a, the get-go is 
was uh, the fact that, you know, even though we were doing a butterfly and dividing, like, even if we don't want to work together, even if you don't, we're totally separate. Is this sharing the information? Right. And I think even when it came to building, like we didn't know what we were doing. We got lucky because it was a slow time. So you could make errors and you didn't get punished. Like you wouldn't a tight market right now. It wasn't like, you know, essentially you're the first generation to start construction. So you learn, you kind of learn the hard way, but we, again, it was just like what you're saying. It was very, even in France, it was very soft. And we did our, we did a, who would be almost a lead quasi, almost a lead platinum, I think you could say, or a second one building. And there's a lot of forgiveness when the market's slow and you're building, right? So we kind of, in that sense, we sort of got lucky. But I think the biggest, you have to be, everyone's pretty curious in the family and in an intellectual sense, right? So you're always trying to look at stuff, look at things. And the fact that we're diversified really, really helps. And I think the other thing, and if my wife hears this, I can just see the fist pump on her. Because we always argue, I, I, as much as we manage, I don't like managing, but I realize we have to do it. But by managing your own portfolio, especially when you do the residential, and I notice this with a lot of other families, when you get larger, not fun work, and a lot of people like to delegate it. But that's where that's the canary in the coal mine. So I, I think I was reading recently that StatsCan came out in the third quarter in Calgary had rapid growth. Now everyone knows it's going growth. But for us, same thing happened in 2015 in Nanaimo. I, I look at my brother-in-law, one of them, and I'm like, have you noticed the difference this month? Like last two months? He's like, yeah, it's just weird. It's on fire. And you're getting that because we do manage. It's The apartments are always almost the carry in the coal mine. Mm. Once you start seeing growth and then you can play cyclically and because we're in different assets ourselves and we manage them and we talk to a lot of our tenants personally, you, you get to hear their stories like about how are the businesses going. So we had we have one tenant that's not renewing and they have a, uh, it's a, it's a basically an ethnic grocery and you think it'd be great, but he explained exactly why he's like, they can't get the product I need from the rails of the port in the countries I need. So you, you, you do learn a lot just by, you know, being attentive and managing your own buildings and seeing the trends as they come up and especially on the apartments, because it's real time. Like it, everyone thinks about the Island, but man, like it was, there's been a few cycles where it hasn't been that easy, especially mid Island. And, you know, I remember when Alberta would turn on and off, you would totally feel on the Island. Big time. Like Alberta turns on, island starts dipping, especially in the smaller communities. And it would just be, then all of a sudden you're, you're scrambling to rent and then something to switch this, all of a sudden the switch turns. And it's, you, you, you see it on the residential for sure right away. Hmm. That that also with just communicating, like we have, I was talking to another family member. Um, she's doing a project in Mascouche, Quebec. And she's telling me what's going on about the political process there today. And, you know, how can we, and I'm telling her what we did in Nanaimo and, you know, what Nick did and, Sandwich to try to convince the city and you know she'll probably use those same things to negotiate with the city there well if you need to backfill that that grocer there i know a really good brokerage on vancouver island that could definitely help out in that listing <laughs> process for, yeah it's not for sure i think they're going to try and sell it so we'll, we'll, we'll see but for sure it's uh that same brokerage is really good at sales <laughs> <laughs> totally well I, I hear they also love industrial too oh <laughs> you, you name it where we got it all for you um, you know, you guys obviously have a, a, a retail component to your holdings on Vancouver Island there. And when talking to a lot of landlords and developers over the past couple of years, a lot of people have sort of just said how the Vancouver Island market, and this could be spotty, has just been very resilient through COVID, not terribly up, not terribly down, but kind of really managed itself to get through it. Did you guys experience that during that same time period, maybe in your retail side of your portfolio, or if you had challenges? Were they certain industry-specific challenges within that retail? 
Yeah, it's tough. I because I, myself, the stuff I control is more in, like with my wife. It's more industrial and the multifamily side. We're probably the least heavy retail out of the whole group. But um, looking at it, there there was like because of knowing the properties. Cause I used to manage all the retail centers. Definitely, some of the tenants that were in trouble going in, you knew that the COVID ironically gave them an opportunity to survive as soon as all the programs came out. Everything has to be prefaced. There can be anyone on any podcast that says, oh, it's great. You know, we had these programs. No one knew what was getting on. If we didn't have Secret and all these programs in the wage subsidy for some of the restaurants, it would have been horrible. So we got ahead of it right away. And it was, I had a meeting with someone in March of COVID who ran a pension fund out of Edmonton at the time. And he's like, Robin, you got to get in front of all these guys now. Like get in where we're proactively contacting. So we would do that. We'd, you know, really try to be attentive, which tenants need help, which ones don't. And, you know, and what we found was the national tenants that were the most difficult, like the Tim Hortons, the 7-Eleven, not here on the island. They were they were actually stable, but elsewhere they just said, look, we're, we're just going to bail on here. We want to close the location. So there is issues. But a lot of the people were pretty receptive. And I think what helped retail on the island is that it's the same sort of reason what got us to doing industrial on the islands. We saw a lot of population growth for the years, you know, since between that, you know, the census period that was around 2012 or four is around 2014. A lot of population growth came. So retail is not added. So all of a sudden, even if retail, you hear the stories about demand slipping and demand falling off, even if say your square foot needs per capita is less, if you increase the pie of people coming, you know, you're going to need more retail or at least keep it stable. And I think that really helped us going into COVID is that we weren't really over retailed like some cities you see. And the other thing is, a lot of the stuff that our family does is boring stuff from an institutional perspective before. People didn't like open-air strip malls. They didn't like mom and pops. Or, you know, back in the day, it's like if you had restaurants and personal services, the banks didn't like it. And that's kind of what we liked. And that seemed to do really well. So for us, it was, there was some churn. There was some uh, rollover. And, you know, we, we did lose a restaurant tenant about two months ago that got backfilled by someone we're super excited about from Vancouver, oddly enough. And but they were going down before, and COVID allowed them to probably outlast what would have been a shorter death with them. So, yeah, we were, we were pretty fortunate. It's funny you talk about that because it seems like a lot of landlords, especially families or, or institutional guys that have large portfolios, experience the same thing. The national tenants or international tenants, for that matter, too, were very challenging to deal with. Some of them, so much as the too big to fail mentality, we're not paying, you can't close this down where you're anchor, all the way totally, uh, yeah, all, all the way up until the point where where maybe some companies used it as an exit to kind of mask the corporate image of them closing stores. Imagine if they closed the stores and it wasn't COVID, the the potential image issue they would have versus with COVID, it was kind of like everyone's like, oh, I get it. So there was kind of the opportunity to shed some sort of dead wood that we found talking to a lot of people that were had the nationals and international oh, tenants. 100%. Apparently it was the same with some of the larger industrial ones too. And we... um. Like all the tents at the start, they took advantage of it. I mean, the industrial guys didn't want to shut down, obviously, because the demand profile. But it was, yeah, it was tough there for a little bit in that uncertain period. But it totally was like that. And, and what's ironic is I'm thinking of, we did lose a 7-Eleven and a Tim Hortons. And they were both backfilled by groups that actually are locally based chains. This wasn't on the island. This is actually in Calgary. But they're locally based chains that do really well. So it was kind of ironic. It allowed us to reposition. But one of them, we have Live Nation as a tenant, just in a little small space. And right away, it's like, we're not paying you. And yeah, like, yeah. they, I, I was kind of nice to them. I was like, look, I understand you guys are probably the most legitimately crushed by COVID right now. 
I get it. There's no concerts. There's no events. But you have four billion. Like I, I don't know how many billions in the bank. I pulled out a seat. I'm like, dude, like you you can pay us. Like come on. Like you know, this just work with us until we we sort this out. And it's like, nope, sorry, we're just not paying. We're not paying anything. And you're sitting there going, like, how do you negotiate? You know, they have four billion in cash. They have more cash than you, and they're just not going to pay you. But you also know you can't do anything about it. You know, it worked out. Everything is those few months that were crazy, and then you know, people seem to sort of get along a lot better after they kind of knew. But I agree with you. Yeah, I think it was an excuse for a lot of the large tenants for sure. And it really made me appreciate some of the mom and pops that really try. Like we've yeah. always like that because that relationship meant and it, it's crazy how grateful some of them were and as an owner view and i'm not sure if you heard this from other people it really made us understand the businesses better because when you had to apply for these rent reliefs and you started talking you actually really realized like what percent of your revenues is your rent and you're like oh my god this guy does really well we had no idea so it's kind of neat there too or it's the opposite. This guy doesn't make any money. He's just paying our mortgage. <laughs> what, is, what is he doing? What is he doing? Next time yeah. you're in that Live Nation office there, if there's any Nickelback memorabilia, you want to rip it off the wall, just call me after. I'll take it off your hands. Yeah, well, I asked him. I said, look, like if you give me some Burning Man tickets or something, like, we'll call it a deal. I couldn't, get, I couldn't even get Lady Gaga out of them. I literally did ask my daughter. You, you mentioned there, obviously, you guys have, have some holdings now in the industrial sector in the Alberta market, which you talked about. There's obviously a lot more excitement behind that marketplace than there was this time last year, even over the past five years. What are you guys seeing on the, the landlord front there? And, and you mean, obviously, are you seeing increased activity? Is there a groundswell of interest now that maybe wasn't there a year ago? And, and if, if so, is that the halo effect coming over from BC because no one can buy any land over here anymore? Yeah, there's, I mean, the big guys have been in Alberta for a while, right? And we're not in the um, the larger distribution space, or we don't really, we like to hold, or like we haven't really done strata to sell, debated on it. But for us, it's just so hard to hold something when we see a project where we want to strata, it makes sense to hold, so we hold it. But essentially, Calgary, actually, a lot of our, we ended up purchasing one was a portfolio of three buildings, and another was a, a one building on four and a half acres actually last year. And Honestly, you kind of felt like, okay, are we going contrarian here or are we just dumb? And that was the feeling I was getting at the same time, right? <laughs> and then intuitively, I'm like, because we had seen like it, it was, it would have been slow and sideways. And you were like, is this a risk? But at the same time, you know, you look at industrial and literally what from, because I, for myself, we, this is an, I'll get back to the Vancouver thing in a second. I'd been looking in Montreal for a while because Montreal, you have a population, same thing with Toronto, I think, where, not on the population side, but the industrial base, it was a lot of older product, but it had been really established for a major industrial economy that basically got outsourced. So you have five, $6 rents forever and higher vacancy rates, nothing really churns. And then, you know, Montreal starts finally the population on the islands catching up everything. And you look at it and you start talking to people and there's like no vacancy. So you tied up one building and the, or the vacancy's dropping, you know, at the time it was like three or 4%. And it had uh, pirate, this kind of fool's gold contempt, like rock underneath the slab, which when it touches water, it blows up the concrete, essentially, it expands. So we kind of dropped it. But when you talk to the tenants, everyone's like, I'm like, why are you putting up with this? They're like, dude, there's no space. It's getting so tight. So we're like, okay, we got to go into Montreal. And then you see cap rates go from six to three because everyone, everyone got on board. We couldn't find anything. We were too late. And it just, and, and you look around, you look at Vancouver, you look at wherever, and you go, well, Alberta, when we first got a building there, it had the highest rents almost in Canada. A lot of the stock probably was more newer, especially in the small base stuff. 
And then over time, it basically didn't go anywhere and caught up. And we're like, well, if, if this compresses, we weren't thinking Alberta was going to get better. But if the investor expectations change from, say, a six cap, even down to a five, because it's like a three and a half in Vancouver, we're, this, this, this should make sense. And if they don't change, well, we're getting a good leverage return. Our rates were like two and a half percent not too long ago for five years. So, you know, you're buying at a six cap and your return's great. So you're like, well, you know, it doesn't even have to go anywhere. And that was, it was basic logic. But what you're saying is exactly true. We... The Vancouver effect, there's a whole Western Canada effect, I think, going on out there. And it's not just from companies relocating or expanding out there because they can't find space on the mainland. It's also the workers, the housing costs are becoming an issue. And I, I was on the phone last week with a guy we're doing a build the suit. I don't really, I should, probably shouldn't mention the company name, but they're a global behemoth. And they're thinking of pulling out of Vancouver entirely because they can't afford it just because their rent's doubling, they have trouble finding staff. And they're like, look, the low margin stuff we don't need, the high margin stuff we can ship from Alberta. And they're ironically, they have, or they're, we're doing a deal with them in Nanaimo and they have three locations in the Victoria area, but they're actually thinking of pulling out. The other one we just did, the TI with the air makeup that I mentioned was a company out of Abbotsford that's also in Edmonton. They have a smaller office in Calgary and they basically, instead of expanding on the mainland, are expanding in Calgary for the reasons you state. So it's, I think it's a bit of a challenge for, it's a, it's a good scenario for Alberta, put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. We and see it's, a lot. It's not just it's not just oil. It's it's more than that. There's other factors. Hmm. It's the Oilers. It's the Oilers. Well, they can score. They just they just you know they, well, that's, they that's, score goals. Well, it, it's funny because I I haven't really found the time to kind of watch the playoffs. And every time I tune into an Oilers game, like the first game against like, the, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, I sit there and I go, "What the." I look at the score and I think I'm watching I the know. BC Lions. I'm like, this guy's up by two touchdowns. I turned it on for a minute and a half and I think it was 7-3 or something like that halfway through the second. And while I was watching the Oilers scored, I was like, this is nuts. Like, I was uh, watched for 30 seconds. I don't want to place blame on anybody. But if, if you I, score and you got McJesus on your team and you're scoring six or seven goals a night and you're not winning the game... <laughs> You might want to look behind, you know, might want to look at the goaltending situation. So, you I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting playoff run to see what happens. Well, it, it's kind of the Maverick mentality. Doesn't that work for Alberta? Kind of all or nothing. Go yeah. big or go home, right? Well, I don't so, know. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, so, Robin, I'm kind of interested in, you know, you're in Montreal, Alberta, BC, France. It sounds like you're bullish on Alberta right now, if I understand correctly. Where are the opportunities that you guys are are seeing in the marketplace right now? Nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, six months ago, Alberta, for sure. But now we're starting to see the crazy thing there. I, I would say even Mid-Island, we still see, like, we're kind of not looking for more land, just because I think with all of us, there's a, a fair amount of stuff quietly in the pipeline. But when you look at the trend towards densification and the movement towards the secondary markets that everyone's aware of now, I still think if you're familiar with some markets, there's a lot more upside to be be had long term. The problem is house prices on the island have jumped jumped so much that it's really hard to to make sense of assembling something. So you kind of you have to find these larger lots that you can do it. It's but it's definitely with rates now too. Everyone. It, it, everyone's kind of waiting and seeing what happens. But I still think when it comes to Alberta, if, if I look at stuff in Alberta with the story going on there and for how long it's been sideways, the the expectations on return have always been a bit more rational. You don't really get the parking money effect as much as you do, I think, on the mainland and even Victoria to a lesser extent and on the island. So people are looking for a return. 
and there's a story there where you see rents that are still, you can still find buildings with, you know, single digits, smaller bay stuff that's got single digits, maybe low double digits at an okay cap rate or below replacement. And in a nutshell, that's kind of what our gig always was. It was just buying stuff below replacement because you have that discount and then, you know, costs, the values, cap rates compressed and values went. So we unwrap that a little bit because it's one thing, obviously, you see a lot of buyers yep. that are sort of very knowledgeable about the commercial side of the businesses. And when, when a lot of people deal with the institutional guys, they're very, very big on got to buy below replacement cost value. Can you maybe unpack a little bit what that is just for our listeners sake? Yeah, I know it's essentially, I mean, this was what drove from for years, multifamily, we'd look at the buildings we'd buy and you'd go, well, how much would it cost to rebuild that building on today's land value and construction costs? And you'd figure out, you know, the discount or replacement. And that was sort of what, made existing assets favor as long as they're functional favorable for quite a while and i think with some of the industrial you're seeing in markets that have you know their rates haven't really run up yet like like especially in alberta is that you are seeing buildings old trade you know the prices didn't really move so as much as construction costs have now jumped and might cost you 250 dollars a foot to build a small bay building or mid bay building if you can pick up one for 150 you have a basically a hundred dollars discount of course it's not ABC, you have to, you know, some things are discounted because they're discounted for a reason. They're just, they're hunks of junk or they're, you know, functionally obsolete. So, so the, the bones on there plays a role, but it's, that's essentially it. The big question in the room here, obviously, we're very bullish on the Vancouver Island market. We've seen a lot that's transpired over the past three to five years and kind of the direction it's going. Victoria or Nanaimo, where's your money going and why? Or somewhere else on the yeah, island. Or, or somewhere else. Campbell River. <laughs> where, <laughs> where's your money going and why? It's tough. I mean, if you were to ask me that five years ago, I definitely would have said Nanaimo without a doubt. Um, and it's just because of the cap rate differential. Now it's, you know, it, it, honestly, it's a real tough call. I think they're both kind of equal. I still think the problem is our rents in Nanaimo, if we were to buy, are, are starting to equal Victoria, I think I would still prefer mid-island with massive caveats victoria if you can find the right deal victoria of course it's it's sort of the crown jewel it's stable but when i look at the profiles of the tenants we see moving over the people that are going to mid-island there's the question of where are they going to get the jobs but they're actually there's a major lifestyle thing there people want the outdoors they're moving to the island i think the mid-island has so much more room to capitalize on in terms of of this proximity to everything you'd want on the island for the outdoor space. Like you can get to Vancouver fast, you can go skiing in for a morning, you can go to Nooka Sound or uh, Tofino. Victoria, on it, on the other hand, it's it's becoming pretty cool, right? Like it's a cool area and I think there's still room for, um, there, there's still a lot of room in Victoria too. It's just, the thing is prices are definitely high and there's a lot of attention on it. So it's, you know, equal cap rate, Victoria all day long, but the cap rates aren't equal. I was out in the Nanaimo area the other day and I was going through Parksville and I could not believe the development and all of that stuff that I saw in Parksville that I just, I didn't foresee coming when I went through it. Is there a halo effects coming off of Nanaimo now where things like Parksville, Campbell River, are they starting to pick up and becoming better markets now that Nanaimo has been, has been such a juggernaut over the past couple of years? Yeah, it, it's weird because de- definitely, and I'm not sure it's a halo effect. Like I remember talking, I mean, about to someone about Victoria, actually, you know, the mayor of Victoria once who you had on the podcast about how like for me, the island, it's a, it's an ecosystem. 
and I think the problem is from outside, it's it's not maybe you have like okay, locate in Langford versus Sandwich, that kind of stuff. But if you look at the island, the island really plays well together as an ecosystem. You got the heart, you got the, you know, your legs, your hands, whatever. And I think with Mid Island, it's not so much a halo effect as a, uh, almost a symbolic relationship. And I remember a lot of it I really do think is demographic and tech that's changing things. And I we've thought about this a lot. And part of where I'm getting with this, I'm like we had 8% vacancy rates, I think, officially in CMHD in 2013 and Nimon. If you're in a market with 8% vacancy rate, is not fun. Like we were, it, it's, and we thought it was going back to how it was in the late 90s, where it was going to be a horrific place. Parksville, a lot of, traditionally, you'd get one, like I remember in Alma Place, one, one building was built that had 90 units. That was like 10 years of absorption for the market. There was like no latent demand. And I'm, I'm, you ask yourself, well, what's different now? Well, population's older. So, you know, people that are, yeah, boomers are retiring, or at least their kids are now moving out. So you're, say you're someone in Vancouver, you're 55. Well, 10 years ago, you're 45 and you had three kids at home that depended on you. So you couldn't really get up and move. Well, now what we're seeing is those guys can get up and move. Their kids are out of the house or they're more independent. They're kind of in their late 50s, early 60s going, you know, we've, we've kind of wanted to move to Vancouver Island to have a different bit of a more rural lifestyle. We can kind of cash out and come to the island. But I don't think that alone was enough. I think the difference is, is that now with the internet allowing you to not not everyone's going to mobile work but they can mobile work a lot more or part-time you can choose more to where you want to live than you could have even 10 years ago and i think that's been the massive difference for us it's a, not just the aging like the retirees coming over to the island which is a big thing because we still use young people because of the cost of living that's a real uh, it's a real problem i think it's becoming acute in victoria right now but at the same time is that if you want to station yourself in parksville like I agree with you. I was, we've had a building up there since, you know, mid nineties and it was really tough. You know, even 10 years ago, sometimes when the market would hiccup or like, Oh my God, they say vacancy rates low, but if you have 10 people leave town, your vacancy rate spikes kind of thing. And now it just seems like it's not stopping because people want to live there. You rats river beach in the summer. I, I couldn't believe it last time I was there. It's amazing. So and now you're seeing the breweries start up everything else. So yeah. I think there's, there is the NIMO effect, the NIMO effect in the sense that healthcare really matters. We had two tenants move out of Parksville because they can't find a doctor, elderly tenants. So the fact that Nanaimo's hospital, like all the services have expanded up that way, I think are, are definitely helping Parksville, like at least for the younger people and the really older people that need it. So it is a bit of a halo effect, but it's kind of the whole package. It's Campbell River. We even sort of, there's one building in the family in Campbell River and and we even offered on something in Port Alberni and Lost Oaten. Those traditionally, like you couldn't pay people to move there, right? But again, if you're a retiree, it's not like you're alone. You can never talk to your grandkids aside from the phone or something. You know, now you you can connect so much better from a distance, just kind of like we're doing right now. Right. That I think it's really fundamentally changed. It's like Canmore and Alberta. It's always been great, but you know, there's probably a lot of people that can be super happy staying in Canmore, not having to go to Calgary every day, right? Right. Right. You know. Robin, I just have a couple more questions here for you. And I don't know if, if Corey has any, any more, but thanks so much for your time. One is just thinking about the various markets and obviously the island, you have deep knowledge. It sounds like, like the way you're talking about Calgary and everywhere else, and even, even Montreal, it sounds like, like you're really big on kind of feet on the ground, talking to tenants, but how do you get to know these various markets and, and feel confident enough to, to move on them? Well, the cheat sheet is that I did live in Calgary and I did live in Montreal, but oh, okay. um, 
<laughs> but but no, it's not it's not just that because it's funny because I'll talk to some family members in Montreal and they'd be like, "Have you been to this suburb?" They're like, "No." I think it's actually quite surprising, and you have to be careful because it, it's good and it's bad having outsider bias. Because you often see people, I'm sure, talk about Vancouver and you're like, "That doesn't make sense," or "This makes sense." And but you can really glean a lot of information pretty quickly now. Look, start with the data sources, and then just actually driving around. So if I'm in Montreal for work on my own, I spend a lot of time. I'll, I'll drive to an area they don't know and I'll kind of remember it and keep looking at that. And even I think of Calgary and you looked at it like really trying to figure out the transportation network. So I remember at one point, you know, when we got our site in Bridgeland, I was talking to some people from Calgary and like, oh, Bridgeland, oh, that's just where, you know, uh, it, it wasn't a very favorable conversation. And I'm like, well, dude, it's like 600 meters from the freaking C train station, which is free to go downtown. You have the walkway there. You're in urban village. You have a park. Bucci's building, Minto's building, Gablecrest building. I'm like, what's wrong? But the local guys are like, no, no, we'd never live there. I'm from the Southwest. So you don't have that local bias, which can help. You got to dig into why they have it because one right. of them was that they didn't have a grocery store there. And now they do in East Village. So there's that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is observing. So I had actually time and I heard someone once in a podcast that said they would go into a market and they'd actually put down a map and kind of look at a map and figure out how you get from, a to, from the industrial side. This is a big deal. And we kind of did that. I remember timing it. We had that site. I was like, okay, we, we got in a little too early, but everyone thinks it's way out there. But how long does it take me to get to this community? How long does it take me to that? And you start adding up. And you're like, man, this is like way faster to get to the Northeast than the one that seems closer to the Northeast. So it, lots of different things. But, but you do have to definitely talk to people and, and try to look at it from a neutral, clean slate. And then, of course, if it's looking at where the community is going in terms of community plans and long-term and, you know, from having a black planning background, that's pretty important. Like if you see that they're, they want the density to be here and they're really pushing for that. Yeah. I mean, that's, everyone can do that, but it's, it does essentially give you an, in, an indication. And maybe as a, as a final question, Robin, a lot of the, the folks who listen to this podcast are either aspiring commercial real estate investors or, or kind of mom and pop investors. It sounds like uh, the way your father-in-law was uh, when he first saw the cherry blossoms in Victoria in the 80s. Uh, what, what's one piece of advice you would give to, to somebody looking to grow a portfolio, maybe not quite the Denux group uh, size, but, but somebody looking to scale? You know, it, it, I think this is really important. It just kind of hit me when you mentioned this, and it kind of governs most things that we do. And it also governs when you mentioned the contrarian approaches that and I just say, if the institutions are in it right now, it's a lot harder, but you need to figure out what your cash flows are at 100% of leverage based on your cost of capital. And at what point will you be not cash flow negative at 100% leverage on an asset? And I guess the reason is you see so many people that have cash, they buy real estate and you know they can kind of never recover the cash unless they have a loan and spend 10 years reimbursing the loan and then refi. And Or you see other people that just end up slowly bleeding. And I think it, it, that's why for us, it was kind of a big exit buying at really, really low cap rates unless we knew we could churn the rents and increase them fast enough to be able to get to a cash flow positive because we're essentially boring against our old buildings to buy new buildings. So if you're right. boring at X amount, you factor that in. And that was literally how everything started. You get a triplex. This is a true story. Triplex in Quebec City. Still have a picture of it in the office. And okay, well, okay, we'll live in one. And you know, when can we get our money out and buy another building? And have that one pay for itself. And you keep doing that because if you don't over time, you just, you you look like you're gaining, but you you become cash flow poor. And I think if you're doing, if you're 
able to raise capital and that's your model and you're in, you know, you're a syndicator, you're, we don't do that, but that's different, especially if you're selling, but if you're holding on, you, you, it's pretty tough and to, to grow. I mean, you're going to grow a lot slower if that takes you 15 years to get versus three or four or two, or some of the new construction we did was almost immediate. Fantastic advice. Well, we have this uh, segment called the six pack that you may have heard before six lighthearted questions to end the show and find out more about you uh, outside the office. Do you have time for that, Robin? Sure. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. Sounds good. So we'll give you an easy one to start here. Favorite vacation spot when you find the time? Oh, that would be, um, I guess I'll do short and far away. Nooka Sound, if I could get there again on the boat, love it. Being on the wild west coast, that's part of the reason why I can't move away. And the other one, honestly, I've only been there twice in my life. And I was telling the guy, still keep in contact from there. If I could keep going there, it'd be Cartagena, Colombia. Love that city. Hey, I'm going there. I've, I've been there before as well, but I'm headed there at Christmas. Isn't it awesome? Oh, man. I'm excited. Yeah, we, I feel like I we, haven't we, been we, anywhere in a long time, and that place is is the best. We took our kids for three weeks, three weeks just before COVID, like at the 2019, 2020, just before COVID. We went for about four weeks, and we were in a Columbia. And I went there when I was, you know, 20 years ago, and it was a lot less safe. And, man, it was awesome. We went Medellin. The kids loved it. It was We had a great time, too. I just... That's neat you're going there because not many people do. Yeah, you know what? And it's funny. The last time I was there was maybe 2000 or 2001 where I I remember at one point I called the Canadian embassy and they were like, there's a, you shouldn't be here. What are you doing here? Uh, It's a different feel. Yeah. I was, I literally was there around that time too because I remember I moved to Calgary right after. That was probably around 2000, 2001. I loved it then. And you know, was just pumped when I kind of convinced the wife. She looked at it right away and was like, no, this is a venture. It sounds good. And we put the kids in Spanish lessons for a bit. And maybe that was great. So it's kind of funny, but I've only been there twice. But if I could go there on a weekend, I totally would. <laughs> and just to recap, Matt, your Christmas last year, where did, where did you end oh, up going? Yeah, yeah, yeah just little so different. The know. This is the COVID effect. I, I had COVID in the basement in Winnipeg. So oh, okay. this, this Christmas is going to be a lot better. There you go. Uh, or it better be. <laughs> That's hilarious. A book, Robin, that everyone listening should read. It's tough. You know what? I'm going to take a flyer on this because I'm thinking podcasts have ruined my reading recently. Because now oh, I interesting. these podcasts, I, I can do stuff because we, we live on five acres. There's always stuff to do outside and I used to resent it. But now I throw on a podcast, often your guys's, and till around outside. So podcasts have been replacing that. But no, I read that. I'm rethinking for a real estate one. I normally don't read. I like to read fiction, but sometimes or nonfiction, about historical stuff or, but I actually read that drawer Polig one, rethinking real estate. It's probably a bit outdated. It came out about 2019 to 2020. And that, that kind of tweaked me a bit because it's neat. It just talks about just the influence of technology and different asset classes. And, you know, the reasons why we see things and goes into the history a bit. His chapter on multifamily is really neat comparing it to the turn of the, you know, the 20th century. Oh, fantastic. That, we've never had that on No, we haven't had that one show. yet. We've had a couple of beverages. Someone sticks a karaoke mic in front of you. What song are you singing? Oh, either Whip It. <laughs> Just because it comes in when I was a kid. 
I heard a really good guy do it. Or uh, oddly enough, this is a weird to practice my French. I actually listened to a lot of, I guess, uh, French artists of African descent because they kind of have this really neat methodic rhythm and blues thing. And I can't really sing karaoke, but in my head, if I could speak French better, that's what I'd be singing. We actually in San Fran, we saw randomly went and saw an artist that was uh, we were there a couple weeks ago on flight credits and we saw the guy who has the number one album currently in france was playing there with the kids so probably do that two totally different things or maybe old school iron maiden (laughs) oh there we go there we (laughs) go you got french african old school iron maiden or whip it (laughs) (laughs) is uh for anyone listening who's interested in uh uh top french african descent (laughs) band that you like Oh, for oh, for me, or yeah. um, probably uh, Gims or Daju. All right. What do you? Uh, guy, um, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. are you? Uh, what are you binge watching right now or recently on on uh, one of the streaming services or best movie? Is this? Do I have to really tell the truth? It might be embarrassing. We might have to check your so, history. Out of range on Prime. Um, an, an agent from Cushman in Calgary told me to get into it. And it's actually kind of neat. That's. It's hard to binge watch because I think they only release it every couple of weeks and it's ending. And this is kind of cheesy and corny, but I don't know how. I started watching The Boys on uh, Prime after I was looking at something. I kicked off Netflix because we didn't have enough counts for the kids, so I had to find something else. Right on. Last question for you. It's Friday. It's sunny out. Favorite bar or restaurant? You know, I think for the bar, Phillips Tap Room, give a shout out to Matt Phillips. He's a great guy and he does a bang up job on the tap room. And, um, for restaurants, probably takeout tacos. Who knows? We got a lot of really good taco places in Victoria, and um, I'd probably grab one of those, or maybe go to Fernwood Pizza, get a Fernwood Pizza, and go down to the park and kind of hang out with the kids and eat that. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Robin. And how can people find out more about what you're doing and what's going on with the Denux Group? Yeah, I guess they could contact me. Um, you know, on uh, our, our website's group with a, the French spelling with me. Denux, D-U-N-E-X.com. And uh, yeah, we often like to stay off the radar a bit, but our door is always open and our phone lines are, it's, you know, 250-920-5435, extension 102. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time, Robin. Cool. And uh, you guys should sell us an industrial building, preferably newly constructed, but below replacement. Sometime we're in Victoria, that'd be great. <laughs> that, that's what we do. That's, that's our, that's our thing. <laughs> Sounds like an easy thing to do. <laughs> you, I, I might have a better chance right now buying you a 649 ticket and you winning than us pulling through for you on that one. And just asking for a friend, does the, the next group ever sell any of their prime retail or any of their industrial buildings? Just asking for a friend. No, we, we've sold, there's only, I think, been three assets really. I mean, since aside from, you know, 25 years ago on a random moving across the country, there's only been three assets and they've more been strategic one-off randoms that have been sold. So we generally don't sell. I mean, it's the problem is what do you do with your capital, right? If you want to make that number three to four, you just let me know. For sure. We'll do it. <laughs> right good. Thank you so much, Robin, for your time. It was a great conversation. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks. Bye. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Robin Kelly of the Denux Group. A very impressive portfolio. Very impressive portfolio. Very interesting conversation. You know, there's a ton of takeaways there. The one yeah. that that I like is, I was thinking about this as, he, as Robin was uh, talking, but monitoring the markets they're in through 
managing their multifamily, like yeah. having that kind of the boots on the ground. And it sounds like being really curious and speaking to people, tenants and everybody else around to, to really get a feel of what's going on granular, you know, on the street. I'm a big believer in having foot soldiers on the ground in communities. And obviously from the brokerage business, our take was instead of having everyone in one major hub city, like say Vancouver, and try to parachute throughout the province, we've got more offices and more markets. When with Kamloops, which we started on construction on, I believe in two weeks, that becomes our sixth BC office at this point. But we've got more offices, especially in some of these secondary and tertiary markets. What you learn from talking to people who live there, talking to business owners who live there, it's impeccable when you try to put a price tag on what type of knowledge that brings to the table and what type of data you can collect for clients versus sitting in Vancouver trying to learn the Kamloops market. And when his comment about managing buildings, it echoes the same thing where if, when you're actually physically walking the properties, talking to them, you get firsthand accounts of what's happening, good and bad in the communities. And you almost can kind of feel it yeah. when you're walking around. You can feel the buzz. You can also feel it when there's nothing going on. Right. And you can see that as well firsthand. And that's really hard. And that doesn't come across in any computer program. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not in the census data. <laughs> that, that doesn't show up, but great interview. I mean, they have a tremendous portfolio of through, especially through Vancouver Island and into you know, the Alberta markets that we're more familiar with. And it's very interesting to get their take from someone who's a family that's been in those markets since the late nineties to sort of see how they've really transitioned. Because I think even talking to a lot of people in the brokerage industry and developers that we deal with a lot of time, institutional buyers, a lot of them probably couldn't even point Victoria on a map 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, five years ago, you kind of feel it. They start asking questions about it. The numbers come in. He speaks to how the cap rates went from like six to almost three in the multifamily sector once all the institution guys came in. So it's interesting to hear firsthand accounts of how they watched that market transition from maybe a sleepier market into the active international attention that's received now from an investment standpoint and just sort of watch that whole thing unfold in front of you. And how you use that knowledge to transition to other exactly. markets and asset classes, right? Playing the cycles. No, it was a great conversation. Before we go, Corey, everybody listening has got to be getting excited about commercial real estate by now. If they are excited about commercial real estate in British Columbia, how can they find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright? They can reach us anytime through our website at williamwright.ca. They can call our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. Let us know what they're after and we'll put you in touch with the best broker in the province, throughout the province for you. And they can also drop me an email anytime, Corey at williamwright.ca. Always love hearing feedback, good and bad. Love hearing stories. Always happy to talk real estate. But before I forget, next week's episode, or I lied to you, the week after next week, might be a little slow because we have our William Wright annual Whistler retreat. Oh man. And we're bringing you this year. <laughs> yeah. You're coming yeah. with us. You're one of the 50 uh, or 60 people attending. I, I know everybody's going to go, who, who the hell is this? We should, do the pod, we should do the podcast live, live from, from Whistler, Whistler live from after Whistler. a bottle of wine. <laughs> it sounds good. No, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's, it's going to be great. We've got the foursomes for golf. Got the foursomes it's, for golf. I'm all excited. ready to go. Yeah. I'm all excited ready to about go. it. Be a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, last but not least, Corey, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where these episodes are summarized and available. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Have a great week, everyone. We'll be back next week, but the week after maybe a little rough. Or, or we'll record live from Whistler and then we'll be good. We'll get three in the can and we won't have to worry about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Take, Take care. care. Subscribe today.